Father God, you are glorious and you are good and you are the King of all kings. Lord, we have nothing to fear because you are King and you rule and reign in the hearts and lives of men that surrender to you. And God, I pray that there will be more and more that will surrender their hearts and lives to you. God, so that we have nothing to fear. God, help us to see eternity and how it exists right here in our lives. Help us to see beyond our life as it is right now to the kingdom that is to come. Lord, help us to not be afraid. Help us to not be weak, but help us to be strong in you. Lord, as we look into your word, I know how it empowers us, how it, how it strengthens us, how it encourages us. And I pray that we be encouraged now as we look at what you have to say to us, as we look at how you speak to us. God, let us rest in your word right now. God, change us forever through the power of your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit. And God, help us, Lord Jesus, to seek your face right now as we look at what you have to say to us. Be glorified in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King, I do pray. Amen. You can be seated. So, we may start off kind of slow, but we get going, don't we? I love that about our church, the fact that, you know what, we're all messed up, and sometimes we mess up, but ultimately the, the way we get to the place we're supposed to be is when we get out of the way and just let God do what He's going to do, Amen. And, that, and just like Kayla said in her prayer, that, that's just us surrendering to Him, that's all it is, it's just us saying, you know what, He's got the answers and we don't. Um, so that's the reason that, that we focus so much on two things here, and that is the leadership of the Holy Spirit, because we're a bunch of idiots who don't know what we're doing. The Holy Spirit of God does know what He's doing, Amen. and that's why we focus on His Word, and that's what's key to this church, and uh, if you're not all about God's Word, then you're probably in the wrong place. You should probably go to another church. So we've been in uh, Nehemiah, we've been building some walls lately, we just got started, and God led us last week, we've been talking about Haiti a lot, and how God had shifted our hearts towards Haiti, and, and we, were, we were right there in our hearts and in our minds when Haiti got struck by a hurricane, just recently Hurricane Matthew came through and basically tore down everything that didn't have walls, and God had impressed upon my heart some three years ago back in 2013, how when I was looking around and I was worshiping in their church that they didn't have any walls. And when I went into their schools and their churches where they were having class, they didn't have any walls. It was just tarps that were suspended uh, amongst these uh, four by four posts. And that's all they had for walls. And it really kind of moved my heart. And I didn't really understand why. I thought that I was being selfish and just thinking in my first world mind that I have walls in the places that I go around the places that I live, so they should have walls here. Well, as it turns out, God was impressing that upon my heart because they have a real need for walls there. Uh, and when I looked at the Facebook posts or places down there, it said basically anything that didn't have walls was torn down. So it led my mind and my heart right towards Nehemiah. Uh, when I thought about building walls and I thought about God's word and what it says about building walls, I couldn't help but Nehemiah to jump right out at me and for us to go, we're going into a, a series on Nehemiah and talk about building walls. Uh, I do have to tell you that, that Dawn pointed this out, that the last time that I preached about Nehemiah, you know what the outcome of that was? 
You know what the outcome of me preaching Nehemiah and, and God moving our hearts that direction? It was this church. This church was, was the outcome of God leading us towards Nehemiah. And I preached a whole series uh, in the college ministry that I was a part of. I preached a whole series on Nehemiah. And on the other side of that series was Simple Church. So what Dawn said the other day was, she said, I wonder what God's going to do with this series this time. You know? And I, I was like, yeah, exactly. I wonder what's going to happen. So we're going we're gonna to do what my dad says. We're going to hide and watch. We're just going to let God do what he's going to do, and we're going we're gonna to focus on God's word, and we're going to let him teach us through his word, and, and we're going to listen to him and him alone. Now, a lot of people have come to me and said, man, okay, Kenny, I'm down. I want to go build walls in Haiti, and I'm all about it, and then let's go do it. Now, how are we going to do that? And I said, tell him, I don't know. Well, when are we going to do it? I said, later. Okay. Thanks for the details, Kenny. I appreciate that. Yeah. I like I'm like James Bond. It's a need-to-know basis only. You know what I mean? It's like God just, I, I, I feel led to go a certain direction. Sometimes God changes that direction. I'm okay with that. But I don't try to get in his way and say, well, we're going to do this, and we're going to go into this city, and we're going to do this for a while, and then we're going to go get jobs here. No, I don't do that. If you want to read James, you can read about what it says about when you do that. I just try to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and I give you what I know right now, and that is I'm going to Haiti, and I'm going to build some walls. And if some of you want to come along with me, you're welcome to. And, and as we've been studying in Nehemiah, God has impressed something else on my heart, and that is that what is the church, you know, that, that, that you know, they're rebuilding, in Nehemiah, they're rebuilding the temple, and that was, that represented the very house of God, where God himself dwelt. And what we know now is, is that God dwells in the hearts of men. And, and we're the church. And, and we're, it's not anything to do with the building or the curtains or, or, or the glass or anything. We, we're the church. And sometimes I, I think we need to recognize that our walls are torn down too. That, that is the house of God. Sometimes our walls are torn down. In, in Nehemiah, the walls of Jerusalem are torn down. Ezra talks about rebuilding the temple. Nehemiah talks about rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem represented the very dwelling place of God. It was God's people, the people that God had chosen to, to redeem the whole world. It's, it's through the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, that, that God chose to bring his son, Jesus, into the world to redeem the whole world. And what, what the walls represented was their disobedience to God. Because what God had said is, if, look, if, if, if you will remain my people and I, and I will remain your God, if we'll stay connected like that, then, then what will happen is I will protect you. I'll give you a place to live. I will, I will bless you. I will keep you. But if, if you turn away from me and you start worshiping other gods, then what's going to happen? I'm going to have to do something to you to wake you up, to shake you up, to make you recognize that I'm still God and I'm still in control. So what happened was the people of God, they started rebelling against God. They started worshiping other gods. And, and God said, okay, I'm going to send the Babylonians in to take you into captivity, and that's what happens. They get shipped off to Babylon. As political things go, the Persians come in, take over the Babylonians. The Persians aren't so bitter against the, the Israelites, and they allow them to start filtering back to Jerusalem, back to their homeland. And what we see in Nehemiah, what we saw in the first chapter of Nehemiah is as people are filtering back, they're sending word back to Nehemiah about what's going on because Nehemiah is inquisitive. He's like, what's going on back home? How are things? And they start to tell Nehemiah, the walls are torn down. It's not good, man. 
It's not good. The walls are torn down. And Nehemiah is broken over this. I think us too, we, we, when we, as people of God, when the walls are torn down in the church, I think we need to recognize that there are walls that are broken because we've gone against God. Maybe we, we've done something in a rebellion against God and he really hasn't been our God. So what happens is walls start to come down because God is trying to, to bring us back to him. That's ultimately the reason that why the walls are torn down. It wasn't, I want you to understand something, it wasn't so much punishment for the Israelites as much as it was God trying to rescue them. And I think we need to look at some of the things in our life as why do some of the trials and difficulties happen in our life and maybe it's just God trying to bring us back to him. Maybe it's God just trying to say, come back to me, let me be your God. I'll bless you, I'll keep you, I'll, I'll, I'll be with you. But when you turn against me, I've got to do whatever it takes so that you recognize who I am. And here we see Nehemiah, he's broken over the fact that the walls are torn down in Jerusalem. He just can't get over it. And, and what do we see in chapter 1? This, this is very interesting to me. He, in chapter 1, it says that, that it was in late autumn in the month of Kislev, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. That's what you see in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. So in late autumn... Nehemiah gets broken because the walls are broken. He's gotten word back from his boys. They said, man, things are not going good. Man, the walls are still torn down, and nobody seems to care. You know what had happened to the people that were actually let go back to Jerusalem, and they were hanging out there, and, and they were helping rebuild the temple and all that? They kind of become complacent to the fact that the walls have been broken down. I think this happens in our lives. Sometimes we've got some broken down walls and some things that need to be repaired, and we just become complacent to it. We just kind of let it be as it is and say, well, it's okay. I'm sure somebody else will fix it at some point in time. I'm sure that the, the stones will just put themselves on top of each other over time and, and the walls will be fixed. And we just sit on our hands and we do very little to help the rebuilding process. And we become complacent. Instead of working to rebuild the walls, we just, yeah, it'll be okay. If you feel like in your life that you are missing the very presence of God, just like the children of Israel were missing the presence of God, I want you to think about how God can, can use things in my life, what I can do to help start putting the pieces back together, start rebuilding the walls so that when people look at my life, what they see is the very presence of God. They, they don't see a rebellious, disobedient person. What they see is somebody, they look at that person and go, now that's a person of God. You can see the very presence of God in that person. You can see the very presence of God in that church. You can see the very presence of God in those people. Look at them. Look at their lives. Look at what's going on around them. That's the very presence of God. If you want people to look at your life like that, if you want people to look at your life and see the very presence of God, then take those broken down, torn down pieces of your wall start putting them back together. Don't ignore them. Don't become complacent to them. I, I, I know that, that through this Nehemiah series, I'm talking about two things. I'm talking about ourselves and our lives, and I'm also talking about Haiti because they're both on my heart right now. For whatever reason, God has put both of these together. 
It's kind of strange, and I don't really get it, but I, I'm just going to preach it the best way I know how, and that is that, that God has put both of these things on, our, on my heart right now, and that is the walls in our life and these walls down in Haiti that need to be built that God has impressed upon my heart. So we're going to be talking about two things all at the same time. For whatever reason, God does that a lot in His Word. God loves to talk about two things at the same time. You're like, I thought we were talking about walls. No, I'm talking about your life. I, I, I thought we were talking about I thought we were talking about how we're supposed to act. No, I was talking about your heart. And it's always these, these two things that God's talking about at the same time, and you're like, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying, Jesus. You're, you're talking about farming, but you're talking about bringing souls to Christ. It's always these this two things going on here. And here, in Nehemiah. There's so much to be seen here. I, I'm going to try my best to go through it as quickly as possible so that we can cover all of chapter 2, but bear with me. If we don't get through chapter 2, it'll be okay. It'll still be here next week, and so will we. Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan. Well, you stopped already, man. What we... when, when did... When did he first have it impressed upon his heart that there was a problem in Jerusalem? It was in late autumn, right? Kislev. Now we're in Nisan. It's spring. And what do you got to say about that, Kenny? I do have something to say about it. I believe that there was a period of time, and we saw... Nehemiah praying in chapter 1, like diligently seeking God. God, give me favor. God, show me exactly how I can set this thing up. God, Lord, lead me, direct me. I want things to line up, but God, you're in control. That was in autumn. Now he's in spring. What happened between autumn and spring? What do you think happened? You know what I think happened? I, I, gotta, I gotta guess. I believe that Nehemiah's heart towards Jerusalem continued to grow. I believe that he continued to pray the same way he prayed in chapter 1. I believe he continued to pray like that, seeking the face of God. Now, I don't have anything that would prove that, but I know that it was fall when he started, and now it's spring, and now we see the rest of the story continuing. I think that sometimes this is going to blow your mind when I say this. I think I've said this before, maybe even as early as last week. Sometimes... We get in too big of a hurry. <laughs> See, <laughs> I got one amen on that. that. Sometimes we get in too big of a hurry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know I do. I, if anybody knows me, they know I'm an impatient person, except when it comes to the things of God, and then I'm a super, super patient person, which is just evidence that it has to be God because it's contrary to who I am. It's absolutely, con I mean, I'm like, I... I decide I'm going to do something. I'm just like, oh, come on, come on, make it happen, make it happen. When it comes to the things of God, things like this church, people are like, we should do this, we should do, don't you think we should do this, and don't you think we should do that? And I'm like, no, God hasn't said so yet. So we're not going to yet, so we're going to wait, and we're going to wait on God. And I think, in general, Christians have a tendency to be too impatient. They ask God for things, but they ask God for things like, now. And God, I want you to show me what to do as long as you show me what to do in the next six months. 
As long as you show me what to do in the next six weeks or six hours or six minutes. Come on, God, show me what to do. And maybe, just maybe what God is saying, you know what I want you to do? I want you to wait. I want you to wait. And, and we're like, but I don't like that answer. You want me to wait? That's no good. I, I wanted another answer. I wanted to do something. You called me to do something. I want to do it. And God says, I want you to wait on me because when you wait on me, then you'll trust in me. And then you'll say, okay, God's doing this and not me. Oh, maybe that's the reason why God's doing that. Just wait. And here we see Nehemiah starting off in autumn. His heart's broken. And now in springtime, stuff's starting to happen. I want to challenge you in your life that sometimes you need to wait. And you need to wait as God puts something on your heart. I know some guys that, man, God's called me to ministry. I'm going to jump on it. And I told you this before. Now, how do you know God didn't call you to ministry 20 years from now or God didn't call you to ministry 40 years from now or 60 years from now? How do you know that God's called you to ministry right this minute? Now, what you should do if God's called you to ministry is start doing ministry and you don't need a badge, you don't need to come up here, you, you don't need to, to tell everybody in the church that God's called me to ministry, you just go do ministry. And what does that mean? That means you start doing what God's called you to do. You start loving people and caring for people and doing whatever God allows you to do, whatever doors God opens for you. You don't have to worry about me giving you an opportunity to preach. God will give you an opportunity to preach. So as Christians, we get a little impatient, right? Even as Christians, we get impatient. I think that we need to spend more time listening to God instead of doing that's what I think, just in general. I think we need to start listening and stop doing so much, you know? If we really want God to rebuild those walls in our life so that people can look at our lives and say, that must be God at work, that must be the very presence of God, then maybe we should just say, I'm going to be super patient, and God's going to give me the direction. He's going to open the doors. He's the one that's going to make it happen. Now, does that mean that we're not supposed to be prepared at all when God opens those doors? Does that mean that we're supposed to be just sitting there doing nothing in that, that period of time while we're waiting? If you've ever been to the doctor's office, you know what it's like to wait. Am I right? Uh, you know what it's like to sit in that waiting room and how crazy you make yourself, right? Most of the time, you're playing on your phone. You're on Instagram, Facebook, something, right? Snapchat. Sorry, young kids. Snapchat. You're, you're doing something in the waiting room, right? I believe that as Christians... Though we're waiting, we can still be doing something in the waiting room. While we're waiting on God to, to open those doors, while we're waiting on God to prepare the, the, the scenario for us, I think we can be doing something in that time, in that space. So let's look at what Nehemiah was doing. Was he just sitting there? It said it was in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. I was serving the king his wine. I had never been before appeared sad in his presence. Now, it's a big deal that he was sad around the king because the, the cupbearer, as we found out at the end of chapter 1, the cupbearer uh, has a very important role to the king. And basically, I think what's being said here is that when you were in the presence of the king, you were supposed to be a happy-go-lucky dude. Like, you didn't want to drag the king down because that would be bad, and he would cut off your head, and he would get a new cupbearer. Like... Then you would be really, really sad, you know, because your head would be in a basket. But, like, it was, it was a big deal, the fact that, that he was bold enough to be sad in front of the king. 
Because the king don't like to be sad. And he certainly don't like for his cupbearer to make him sad. He says, I have never before been sad in front of the king. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. I said, then I was terrified, but I replied. I want you to think about the boldness of Nehemiah here, the fact that he's sad in front of the king, and the king has pointed out the fact that he's sad, and, and, and Nehemiah is terrified. Think about the amount of faith that Nehemiah had to have in order to be sad in front of the king because he knew that the king could just say, he's done, kill him, get another cupbearer. But he told, took this bold act of faith, and you think, wow, that's not really a bold act of faith just by being sad in front of the king. When your life is on the line, it's a bold act of faith. He says, I was terrified, but I replied. There are going to be times in your life when you take these bold acts of faith and you're going to be terrified and scared out of your mind and you're going to have to have to speak up and you're going to have to say something when God opens the door and Nehemiah had been looking for the chance and he'd been looking for the right opportunity and, and he was terrified when it finally hit him in the face. And there are times in your life when God is doing something and he's setting things up and you feel that moment when it reaches fever pitch and it's like at the, the, the pinnacle of everything and like God has orchestrated this moment for right here and right now. And what am I going to do? I'm scared to death. Am I going to respond to God and do what God would call me to do or am I going to be just surrendered to that fear and just sit here afraid and not do anything? Nehemiah but replied, he was terrified, but he did what he didn't want to do anyway. He did it anyway. He said, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. He says, my heart's broken over my people. My people back home in Jerusalem, the, 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 the walls are torn down, and the gates are destroyed by fire. He said, how can I not be sad about that? Listen to this. The king asked, well, how can I help you? Kings don't ask servants how they can help them. This is not a normal occurrence. This is not something that happens all the time where the kings are looking at their servants and, and yeah, you're supposed to drink my wine and, and, and if you die, then I know that it's bad wine and I shouldn't drink it. Somebody's tried to poison the king, so they'll just get a new cupbearer and we'll bring in a new cupbearer and he'll, he'll taste the wine for me. They don't look at those servants and go, hey man, how can I help you? What can I do to serve you? That doesn't happen. That's not a normal occurrence in day-to-day -day life in the kingdom of Persia. That's not something that happens a lot. So obviously God is at work here. Obviously God's doing something. I want you to understand this, that it's this strange combination between, between God, Nehemiah being patient and waiting on God to do something, and then the time coming that God has orchestrated, and Nehemiah's got a choice whether to respond to God or not, and he's terrified, and then he does anyway, and then God uses that, and the king responds with a message of, how can I, as the king, help you? How can I serve you? The only way that happens is with the power of another king who is higher than that king. 
We talk about the king of kings all the time, and we think that we're under control of so many other people. No, we are under the control of one king, and he don't live on this earth. He, he, he don't live here. I got asked one time before Simple Church started, they said, um, didn't you have to go and ask somebody if you could start a church? <laughs> this is a guy that he didn't really go to church. He didn't really understand church or anything about Jesus or anything. And he said, don't you have to ask somebody? I said, oh, I asked somebody. I'm pretty sure he said yes. <laughs> he kind of laughed. He kind of got what I was saying, but he didn't really. I said, yeah, I asked him. Actually, as a matter of fact, it was his idea from the start. So I, I just kind of said yes to him. That's the way that worked. Well, how can I help you? The king asked. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. Boy, don't you wish that we replied like that? Uh, this, is not, this is not my reply. I'm going to ask God what I should say. Can you imagine how different our conversations would be if we talked like that? These are not my words. I'm going to pray to God. God, tell me what I'm supposed to say here. He says, with a prayer to the God of heaven, with a prayer he spoke. If it please the king, and if, if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah, rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Not only is the king in favor of him doing this, he, he's, he's, worried about, he's worried about how long he's going to be gone. God has been orchestrating this in the king's heart. He's, he's been building this relationship with Nehemiah. And now when the time has come, not only is he asking him how he can serve him, he's worried about how long he's going to be gone. I'm going to miss you. I, 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 really, I really want you here with me, and you're important to me. And, and I think that the evidence here is that Nehemiah has been faithful in his job. He's been loving to a king that probably didn't deserve love. This is a king who, who him and his people were we're bound by, and, and he's been loving, and, that, and now so much so that the king is going, how long are you going to be gone, man? I, I, I don't think we, in, in this day and time, we can really grasp how big of a deal this is, but this is a huge deal that the king cares so much about him and what he's going to be doing that, that, that he, he asks, how long are you going to be gone? Verse 7 says this, I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on the way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's force, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates and the temple fortress for the city walls and a house for myself. And the king agreed to these requests because of the gracious hand of God was on me. So Nehemiah, remember this is Nehemiah telling the story, he's saying, the gracious hand of God was on me. But I want you to see something here. I want you to look. It was, it was autumn when, when God put this on Nehemiah's heart. And it's springtime now. And we said during that period of time that Nehemiah was waiting and he was praying and he was asking God to open doors and, and show him how he should do things. Well, look what happens. The day finally comes when the king asks, what do you need? How can I help you? Nehemiah's not sitting there going, I don't know. I don't got a clue. 
How many times are we in that waiting room? And we got an opportunity to be preparing a list. Here, here are the things that I need. Here's, here's what's got to happen. And I, I'm going to be ready when God opens that door. I, I'm going to be ready to go when the, when, the, when the door flies open. I'll be able to run through it because I got all my stuff prepared and I'm ready to go. Why aren't we living like that, man? Why aren't we living like that? God puts a vision on your heart. He shows you that this is, this is what's, what, what I want you to do. Here's I want you to serve me. And, and we got this, this great vision for how God's going to use us for his kingdom. And why aren't we preparing? Why aren't we getting ready to go? I'm not saying you have to have all the details worked out. That's not what I'm saying. I want you to understand that we do that in obedience to God and following the leadership of his Holy Spirit. But we can at least put a list together, man. So that when God says go, we're, we're, we're in, the, we're in the, the blocks, the, the stocks, and we're ready to go, you know, so that we're not having to wait. God says go, and we go. And I believe that's the picture of what Nehemiah did. He said, man, i got to have timber. So write a letter to these guys. i, I got to be able to pass through this area, so write a letter to these governors. See, Nehemiah, he wasn't just waiting around, and God opened the door. He says, okay, what do I do now? I don't know. He was ready to go as soon as the door flew open. He was able to run right through it. He already had in his mind what he would ask the king for. He already knew what, what he would ask him for if he got the opportunity. And God opened that door, so that's what he did. Look what it says in verse 9. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, sent along an army of officers and horsemen to protect me. That don't ever hurt, right? I love the way God works. You know what I mean? Like, not only am I going to send you there, and I'm going to send you there with the king's blessing, but he's also going to send an army with you. Now, let me tell you something. When the Persian army shows up, most people don't go, should we let them in? Is it okay? <laughs> He's got a letter. That's good enough. No, the whole Persian army's behind him. Yeah, we're going to let you come on through. You're good to go, brother. But when Sanballat and Hornite and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. The people around Jerusalem were not happy about the fact that the Jews are coming back to Israel and they've got permission from the king of Persia and his whole army to come and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They weren't exactly excited about that. Sanballat, Horonite, Tobiah, great kids' names. If you're young parents looking for names for kids. They weren't happy about it. They were not happy about the fact that Jerusalem... Why? Why did, they, why did they give a rip, man? Why was it such a big deal to them? Because these were people that were very powerful at one point in time. And that, in that area, they had a stronghold, man. And nobody messed with the Israelites. They were a very powerful group of people living in that land. And, and you didn't mess with them. And here they are. They're coming back to start rebuilding some walls. And that's kind of a big deal. That represents their power and their strength and the very hand of God on them. 
The walls have gotten torn down because they've been disobedient to God, and now they're rebuilding the walls. This is not good for us. They're about to become a superpower again. And these governors, these people around, they're not very happy with the fact that they've come back. You know that as uh, God starts to rebuild the walls in your life, as you do the things that God's called you to do, to start allowing God to, to work in your life and you know, reestablishing the fact that that God is number one in your life. Like when you follow through in believer's baptism. That there's going to be some people that ain't going to be real happy about that. There's going to be some people that are going to, as a matter of fact, be anti you representing a born-again child of God. You know why? Because they know that they're not. They're on the outside looking in. They're looking at your life and and when you start to make changes, when things start to happen in your life and they can see the very presence of God, they go, oh, no. This, this whole God thing, it's for real. And they're anti you being a child of God and looking like a child of God. They're not exactly happy with that. You know why? Because it reveals to them the fact that they're not. Amen. That's why we call it simple church. That's a pretty simple concept, isn't it? That when God starts to do things in your life and you start rebuilding the walls and start putting the pieces back together and, and you say, man, God is present and real in my life, then, then the, a lot of people that will go, well, I don't like that. I don't want that to happen in your life because all it does is show me that there's truth in this word and truth about this Jesus that you talk about. And I don't want to be faced with truth because truth hurts. And the fact that I, I'm not a Christian and you've revealed that in my life because of the presence of God in your life. It makes people very angry. And there are people that come into these doors and they see the power of God moving and they leave because it freaks them out because, you know, they, they don't think that that's for them. They don't think that God can do that in their life. They, they, they see God moving in people's lives in here and they're like, man, that's too much for me. I'm afraid if I do what those crazy people are doing then God's going to shake up my life and he's going to call me to do all kinds of crazy stuff. You're right. He will. And it's good. On the outside looking in, it doesn't look good, but I promise you it's good. Good grief. How do I, how do I preach this stuff in such short periods of time? Verse 11. So I arrived in Jerusalem three days later. I slipped out during the, during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put on my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except a donkey I was riding. After dark, I went in through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate and to inspect the broken walls and burned gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, and my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So uh, through, though it was dark, I went through the Kidron Valley. Instead of inspecting the wall before, I turned back and entered into the valley gate. What? Well, that was very powerful. Nehemiah's riding a donkey looking at the walls. Praise God, right? Maybe, maybe just maybe, he was looking at the walls and inspecting the walls and preparing his mind and his heart when he was looking at those walls. See, he had heard about the walls. 
People had told him about the walls, and his heart was broken. Now he's going to inspect the walls for himself. And he didn't really take a bunch of people with him. He didn't say, hey, guys, let's all get on board. Y'all come with me, and we're going to check out the walls. No. It was him and just a couple of others. You know why? Because I don't think that necessarily everybody would have been so on board with going and inspecting these walls. that they, they, They're not exactly, I mean, Nehemiah is kind of like, He's the leader of these people, and he understands how people work, and, and, and he, he's got to inspect the walls, too, so he can, he can convey to the other people and show them, hey, these are the walls that are broken. Let me show you how bad they are. Let me tell you about what I have personally experienced with the walls. I didn't just hear about the walls from somebody else. I personally experienced the walls myself when I went over there, and I was riding around with a donkey, and I was just looking at the walls. Some of us have heard about the broken down walls in our lives. Some of us have, have heard those words. But there's a lot of us that haven't inspected those walls. They've taken the time to do some introspection, looking inside, examining our hearts, examining our lives, examining the things that are broken down in our life. You know why? We'd rather examine somebody else's walls right? It's a lot easier to look at the Amorites' walls across the way over there, across the Euphrates River, and go, man, their walls, look at their walls. They got a broken down piece over there, and they got a stone falling off over here. The whole time, our walls are laying in shambles on the ground, and we go, man, look at their walls. Let's examine their walls for a little bit. You know why? Because that's easier. That's way, way easier to examine somebody else's walls than to examine our own walls. And here, Nehemiah, he's going to look at the walls. He's putting his hands on the walls and seeing how broken down they are. Do you think for a second that Nehemiah, what do you think happened in Nehemiah's life? Do you think that when he saw the walls, he was like, oh, they're not as bad as I thought. Oh, this doesn't burden me like it did when I heard about them. Or do you think as he examined the walls for himself, he got more broken? He got more upset. He shed more tears. That's the reason why we don't like to look at the walls. That's the reason we don't like to look at our own walls. You know why? Because it breaks us down. It upsets us. It hurts us. But that's the only place that you can get to if you're going to start rebuilding the walls. You've got to look at how broken down they are. And then you have to say, and these are really broken down walls, and I've got to do something about them. Can he preach the message about it on Sunday? And here it is on Tuesday or Wednesday, and, and man, I got some real broken down walls in my life. And we'll, we'll shed some tears down at an altar on, on Sunday, but, but how many tears will we shed on Tuesday or Wednesday? We're really thinking about the walls that are broken down in our life. Or we could go the other way. We can hear the message on Sunday, and then on Tuesday and Wednesday, start looking at everybody else's walls now broken down they are. And we won't shed a tear about that because it'll just make us feel better. And that's what we like. And that's the reason a lot of people go to church is because they just want to feel better. You know why I go to church? So that I can see how broken down my walls are. So that I can weep and mourn and hear and God can continue to challenge me in my heart throughout the week through the power of his word. 
And so those walls will be rebuilt as I begin to work on those things, as I begin to look at my life, as I begin to examine myself, test myself. Because walls stand, and they stand for a long, long time. And that's what I want for myself, and that's what I want for all of you. And that is, I want walls that will stand. And that ain't easy. It ain't easy at all. The officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing. Or I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now, but now I said to them, you know very well that we are in trouble. So he's been letting this build in his heart. He's been letting God stir in his heart about this thing. And he goes, finally goes to them. The administration in Jerusalem, he says, you know that we are in trouble. Jerusalem lies in ruins. His gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and how, about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. What was this? What was this? It's called something. It's, called, it's something each and every one of you have if you're a born-again Christian. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he gave his testimony. God had put this on his heart. God had started doing things in his heart, letting it build in his heart, and, and God opened some doors, and, and, and now it's stronger than ever. And now he confronts the Jewish administration, the, the priests and the nobles, and he goes to them, he says, he says, hey, you know that we're in ruins. You can see it for yourself, but you've been complacent about it. You haven't done anything about it. When are we going to get over this complacency? When are we going to do something about it? He gives the, the, his testimony about what God has done and what God has laid on his heart and the doors that God has opened. And now they say, yes, let's start to rebuild some walls. It's time. The time has come. Let's do something. Let's not sit here any longer. You're right, Nehemiah. We've been missing it. We haven't been seeing it. Let's go do something. And when I talked about Haiti last week and how God had been putting that on my heart and, and had been building and we saw a hurricane devastate that place, there's a lot of people that said, you know what? You're right. We got to do something. We can't sit here any longer and just wait on somebody else to do something. We got to do it ourselves. I hope that you will see that truth in your own life as the walls are broken down in different areas of your life. And I hope that you will see that when it comes to serving other people and us going to places like Haiti to build walls. I hope you will say to yourself, we can't wait on somebody else to do it. We got to do it ourselves. Let's go build some walls. The time has come. We've, we've waited long enough. God has opened some doors. Let's not wait any longer. Let's go build the walls. I hope. I hope that's your prayer today. We're going to have a time of response in just a little bit, and I hope that that's what you pray. God, use me to rebuild some walls. 
And there'll be a lot of people on fire about rebuilding walls in Haiti. But I wonder how many people will be on fire about rebuilding walls in their own life. Things that are broken down, these holes in their life where they, they've let the enemy penetrate in. The enemy come in at any time he wants to. Walk in, do whatever he wants to, walk right back out because there are holes in our life. There are walls that aren't fortified. I say, yes, let's go rebuild some walls. But believe it or not, there's always some opposition. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What does that mean? They scoffed contemptuously. There's some teenagers going, I don't know what that means, man. They were upset. They're mad about it. What are you doing? You are rebelling against the king. And what are they saying here? The the king that, that tore down these walls... You're rebelling against the fact that you came from captivity and you're rebuilding the walls and and they destroyed this place. But listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. Now, now, the Persians have taken over the Babylonians, so there's a little bit of strangeness going on here, but but let me me explain. The, The basic principle, who cares about who's in power, first of all? Who cares about Babylonians or Persians? Whatever. Look at the response of Nehemiah. He doesn't really address all that that political drama. He doesn't really address all that, but look at how he responds in verse 20. He says, I reply, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall, but you you have no shared legal right or historic claim in Jerusalem. Everybody's like, man, that's good. The God of heaven will help us succeed. If you're wondering who is going to help you succeed in rebuilding those walls in your life, the God of heaven will help you succeed. If you're wondering for one second about who will help us rebuild walls in Haiti, the God of heaven will help us succeed. He's the one that's the king above every other king. It doesn't matter if it's the Babylonians, the Persians, whoever's in control, it doesn't matter. The real king will help us succeed. The king above every other king will be the one that helps us succeed. And what does he say? Not only does he say that we're going to succeed, he says, you're not going to have any power in this land anymore. You're not going to have any rule or reign or historic claim or you're not going to be able to do anything inside Jerusalem anymore. We're taking it back. We're taking it back from the enemy. The enemies tried to come in the walls and tried to do whatever they wanted to for long enough. It's over. We're building the walls back and the enemy's staying out and it's going to be us and it's going to be us and the real king and we're going to have rule and reign in this place called Jerusalem. We're going to have a new temple and new walls and we're going to serve that king. You see, we tried serving other kings. We tried serving other gods and we saw what happened. Now we're rebuilding the walls. We're taking this place back, and you're going to have no place here. Because it's us and our God, and he's the one that will cause us to succeed. Let me pray. Father, Lord, there are people here, myself included, that have holes and walls. Their lives are broken down in areas, and God, the enemy has infiltrated. He's come in, and he's done He's wreaked havoc in our towns because we had no fortification. We had no protection. 
Lord, I just pray that as we focus on today's word, Lord, that you've spoken directly to us, that, that we would surrender fully to you. We would open our minds and our hearts to the steps and the actions that you would have us to take. Lord, and that we would start the process of rebuilding walls in our lives. God, we, we have seen that, that, that Nehemiah, in autumn, Lord, he, he, he had a passion for going back to Jerusalem to rebuild walls some 800 miles away from Susa to Jerusalem. It was 800 miles, and, and Lord, you had put that on his heart. And he was patient, but he was ready. As he wanted in his heart, he desired in his heart to go rebuild the walls, Lord, that you had been pressed upon his heart were so important. Lord, we've got walls that are broken down, and we've got things that, that have wreaked havoc in our lives because we have got broken down walls. Lord, I pray that we would start the process of rebuilding. And God, we would start the process of saying, God, whatever you have for us, God, we're going to be your people, and you're going to be our God, and you will cause us to succeed. Lord, there are people with sin in their lives. There are people with, with things that, that, are, that are tearing down their lives. It's destroying them from the inside. Lord, I pray. Lord, I pray for that hurting person that wonders how they ended up in this place. God, I pray for them. I ask you, God, to fortify their walls, to give them the steps that they need to take to start rebuilding, to give them the bricks and the mortar they need, God, in order to be able to come back to you and say, I am a child of God. I am a child of the one true king, and he's the one that causes me to, to, to succeed. So, Lord, as people struggle in their life, I pray that they would take a moment to stop. They would listen to you. They would see the areas of weakness in their life, and, God, they would respond to you in obedience to you. And I know we're going to come against opposition. We're going to come against people that, that aren't happy about that. Lord, help us to stand strong in the midst of that. God, give us strong walls. Give us a desire for strong walls. God, we want to be a light for you and for your kingdom. Lord Jesus, impress upon our hearts the things that we need to do, the steps that we need to take in obedience to you. God, we'll be successful only because you have given us the power to succeed. So Lord, work in people's lives now as we respond to you in obedience to you. Be glorified, our King. Our King above every other King. Be glorified now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all please stand?